This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, we're airing an interview with Dave and Catherine Denuzzo about their experience with COVID. One body. One body. How did this extended hospitalization and struggle between life and death bring them both closer to God and each other? Well, let's find out. Dave and Catherine are being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, George Toman. We have Dave and Catherine DiNuzzo, who are members of St. John the Baptist Church in Beloit. Dave is a theology teacher at St. John the Baptist Catholic School, and Catherine is the counselor. The couple have four children, and in November, the entire family came down with COVID. So obviously, this pandemic has been tough. Tell us how this all began And Dave, if you will, how you ended up in the hospital. So just kind of give us a timeline for the listening audience. Sure. So thank you again for having us on. And we want to start by first saying that we know that everyone has had different experiences when it comes to COVID and whether they dealt with it themselves, being sick themselves, or with loved ones. And although our story has difficult parts to it and and struggles. We know that others have gone through struggles as well, and uh, we do not want to downplay, you know, those who have lost loved ones or make it sound like our story is is the worst out there. So we just want everyone to know that this is where we're coming from. Our perspective is that it's very difficult, and we know that it's a reality, and I know that Catherine could speak to this as well, but there's several times when this whole topic of COVID and the pandemic, it either uh, very frequently gets joked about or is just turned into a political rant. And uh, that is not our intent today to do either of those. Uh, So, Catherine, I don't know if you want to add anything there, and then I can kind of give the timeline. Yeah, I think I just wanted to add that I know that there are people who have lost ones to COVID and that Every day that I have, I thank God for the blessing of my husband next to me in bed, or I see him laughing with my kids. I just know the blessing that is and the gift of him coming home. My heart also aches and prayers go up for those who just, I know, didn't have loved ones come home. And so as we do this talk and I praise God for the gifts, I want everyone out there who has lost someone or who's hurting from covid to know that our prayers are with them also constantly and always. Yeah, and so the the initial way that this all began is uh, back in November of 2020, prior to Thanksgiving time, I came down with symptoms, and I'd kind of been feeling some things ahead of time, and then I realized this is now November 20th. I got the chills. I had to use the had to use the restroom facilities. Um, had a fever and I knew I had it. And uh, that next day was a Saturday and I laid in bed and unfortunately my wife and three of our kids uh, also had symptoms that day. And I was, uh, I guess I'm kind of a big baby when I'm sick and, um, (laughs) and I was just kind of in bed and I wasn't doing much and I wasn't feeling good and I had a fever and my cough was, um, was starting and 
the rest of the family also had some symptoms and we were kind of aware of what was going on and we knew that it was a good chance that that's what, what we had. And throughout that day, I begged God to let me take, you know, if we did have it, because at this point we hadn't been tested, but if, if we did have it, that God would allow me to take the symptoms and the, the virus that my wife and kids had and to let me take it on to myself. And um, within the next 24 hours, they were all feeling fine and their symptoms had gone away. So, yeah, it was, it was, amazing. It was an amazing display of God's love and kind of an ask and you shall receive kind of moment. But then it really, it, it got me. So he gave it to me. You know, he, he gave me what I asked. So my symptoms worsened, and um, probably early to midweek, that week of Thanksgiving, we had borrowed a pulse oximeter, and my oxygen, my blood was, was not great. And um, I began to just take deep breaths and kind of bring the number back up, and we just knew, okay, I'm sick, and looks like I have these symptoms, and um, our local hospital and health department were really overrun at that time, and uh, they were saying, you know, if you have these symptoms, just assume that you have it, you need to quarantine and so forth. And so as the week went on, my breathing became more and more labored and more and more difficult, and we began to make phone calls to the nurses and to the health department. You know, what should we do? Should we come in? And eventually, by Saturday, the two days after Thanksgiving, decided to go into the ER. And, you know, we kind of went in with maybe not the best idea of what was actually going on or what was going to happen, thinking, I'll go in, they'll give me some medicine, and I'll be back out in maybe a couple hours. Well, those couple hours turned into an extensive 25-day stay in the hospital in the uh, intensive care unit, um, including a flight for life flight from Beloit, Kansas to Wichita. And over that time in the hospital, uh, my breathing was really, really bad. I had terrible numbers as far as my blood work with realities of COVID and um, was dealing with COVID pneumonia and uh, I had no appetite. I had um, a lot of weight loss. I had no energy and um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty intense time. And so when I asked God, you know, let me take these symptoms, I had no idea that it would uh, really wreck me physically and medically um, and I'm sure we'll get to this, but many other great things actually came out of it, and um uh, look forward to sharing those as well. My next question, so Catherine, I'm going to pose this to you here. What were you going through as, as Dave was in the hospital in Wichita? Well, I think I want to start with just a little bit before he went to okay. Wichita for people who don't understand um, what I call the COVID roller coaster. Sure. So when Dave went into the hospital... We thought, you know, he'd go in and, you know, come back in a couple hours. Well, we quickly learned that he was going to get a treatment that was like five, four days. So they're like, he's definitely going to be admitted for four days. We also didn't know that they had already put a ventilator aside for him. Pretty sure he was going to end up on a ventilator. 
And so, um, so, you know, he goes in the hospital and he's like, oh, you know, it'll be four days. And after four days, I'm talking to nurses and they're like, he'll turn a corner and he would not turn the corner. And then they'd be like, hey, we're going to do the medicine again. He's going to turn the corner in two days. And in two days, he would turn the wrong corner. And there would be these moments where like, okay, he kind of sat up today. It was a good day. And then the next day. He, his numbers were really bad. And so it was just this roller coaster of, is he getting better? No, he's getting worse. Why is he getting worse? Nobody knows. And so when um, on Sunday before he left for Wichita, um, he had a really good day. He watched some Steelers football. He, they let me bring him in some food. Um, and so this whole time, we can't see him. We can just go outside the window that he's at and visit him and do some video calling, but what a lot of people don't know is when you're on oxygen, you obviously can't talk. Um, so we'd maybe have a text message here or there. Um, so on Sunday, we were thinking, oh, my gosh, like he's doing better. Like, things are – we're on the corner. And then on Monday morning, in the middle of a phone call telling my friend how great he's doing, I get a call from the doctor who says, Dave, uh, Dave's numbers are looking really bad, and they've accepted him to Wichita. We're going to have to intubate him to put him on a plane. They couldn't even do a helicopter because his oxygen needs were so great. And you have an hour to see him before we set a date. We're going to have to intubate him. So if you want to come say goodbye, now is your time. And so I had to call my kids and say, hey, guys, we have to go say bye to daddy before he flies away. And it was just really out of nowhere. And because everything was happening so quickly, they actually hadn't even told Dave. So I called him, and I'm like, Dave, I'm on my way to come see you, like, before they intubate you and send you to Wichita. And he's like, what? Like, what are you talking about? And so then, you know, they end up flying him. He gets there safe. And then on the first day in Wichita, the nurse was like, oh, I mean, this was probably proactive. He's doing great. Don't worry about it. No reason to come down. You can't visit him anyways because he's in isolation. And on Tuesday morning, I get a text from Dave early in the morning that's like, I'm not doing well. They did it. I had some heart pain I've never felt before. You know, they just did some tests and none of the medications are working. They're about to put me on a feeding tube because I can't keep my oxygen up and eat and all of these things. It was like, every, again, that roller coaster. And then the doctor's like, if you want to see him, you need to come now. So, again, I had to pull my kids out of school and see if they wanted to come down and see, because we would be able to say goodbye to him before they intubated him. So we were rushing down to Wichita. And so when I think about this time in Wichita, it was really challenging because it was very helpless. Like, no one knew why COVID was affecting a 39-year-old man that wasn't sick before, who had no pre-existing conditions. And so they had no idea what it was going to do. But it was, so it was, there was a lot of unknown and a lot of waiting, waiting in quiet. And um, it was, and I think we'll get into this, it was one of the most amazing spiritual relationships I've ever had with Jesus. But it was also very scary and unknown and ups and downs the whole time that he was in Wichita. Catherine, with what you just said there, um, first, how did the children show their concern, and then how did you handle your own feelings as well as help the children? Because what you just said there, and I'll just I'll just quickly interject, that had to be crazy. That had to be nuts. You know, like again, had no answer as to why 
you know, we were seeing the reactions here, you know, in terms of Dave's health. Had no idea, uh, again, one minute, literally 12 hours before you're getting this information medically, and then you're told, all right, better get it figured out within an hour and say, you know, say goodbye. It's like things are changing very rapidly with little to no guidance. And so it, it's a roller coaster in, in literally the, in the minimal sense of the phrase. There's a lot more going on. So, Catherine, what, what all did you do to help your children and also help yourself through all of this? Well, the first thing is, is I live in one of the most amazing communities. Like, I could not have thanked my whole community and also my church community that, you know, when my kids were needed a distraction, I could call anyone and they would take them to the farm and let them jump hay bales and work in the shop or take them coloring or, you know, give the girls time to get away. Um, so I know when Dave got, when we got the call, the school took all of the kids and prayed a rosary. So I pulled my kids out of school, and the school itself went to the church in front of Jesus and prayed a rosary for Dave. We had someone show up with hot chocolate and donuts as we waited outside of his window for the ambulance to come get him. The way we dealt with it, honestly, was Jesus just providing us everything that we needed. Like, I just had so much support from the community that made me able to float. Um, I had friends who would let me cry to them, friends that were praying for me, friends that would drop off a meal, even had friends that I'm like, I want to say thank you to the hospital. Will you just make them, <laughs> will you buy them food and take it over and say thank you to the hospital staff for caring for him? So that was, on a practical way, the only reason we made it is because my community pulled together and cared for us in ways that I didn't even know were possible. Spiritually, it was really hard because we didn't know. And so I think a big turning point for my children was the day that we have a prayer room in our house uh, with the crucifix and candles, and I took them all up there. And I, we were looking at Jesus on the cross, and I said, look, guys, we are praying for Daddy to be healed, and we have to be in love with Jesus and trust Him if they heal Him by bringing Him to Beloit, where we are, or if he brings him to heaven. And so the whole time, we really worked on being able to trust God in whichever path this took. And um, we just would cry together, pray together. We had a friend send, like, uh, making gingerbread houses, so we would try to laugh together. And, and my children did a great job of, like, just, coming together. Now, if anyone's ever done with dealt with trauma, it's been a lot harder, actually, since he's been home, because I think in the middle of the trauma, all the kids were like, we're going to figure it out. We just got to do it for daddy. And then now it's kind of like, whoa, that was a lot. <laughs> but really, we just tried to stay in our faith, stay in prayer, and stay together as a family. And one of the things that I did that really helped me is I had, we have a crucifix by our kitchen table, and every night... I, after I got the kids to bed and I did my final nurse check and I contacted family with the latest update, I would sit under that crucifix, put on praise and worship music, and write thank yous to everyone who I call my Jesuses of the day. And it was this way of, like, helping myself to remember that in the fear, Jesus was providing me everything that I needed. And that was a real big thing that helped me get through every night get ready for every morning and what it might bring was just that thank you those thank you notes were actually probably more for me than the people who got them and the suffering 
that we experienced, it was really, it was very different because the suffering I was going through was, I think, I mean, it's hard to know, but it wasn't, it wasn't nearly as intense as the suffering my wife and children were going through and the, that, that roller coaster, all the emotions and wondering, you know, why is daddy sick? Why can, why can I not figure this out? For me, the suffering, although I was very worried about my wife and children, I didn't want to leave them. I was really helpless. My suffering was very minimal. A lot of people that experience a month in the hospital in the ICU, they have pain. They have the cough that comes along with COVID pneumonia. They have incredible headaches and intense fevers. They have all these ailments that really is physical suffering. And for me, I didn't have any of that. I didn't, I didn't have the physical pain. And so I began in the process to realize that I was blessed. Uh, this was giving me an incredible opportunity to be in hours and hours and hours of prayer every day with God. Um, numerous rosaries per day, numerous opportunities to just just have mental prayer to to contemplate what he was doing. And there certainly is an aspect. I'm one of the I'm one of the men that's in the year of aspirancy for the diaconate in the diocese. Mm-hmm. And deciding along this along this path, you know, what is God doing? Is this is this something to do with discernment? Is this breaking me of my pridefulness? Is this stripping me of my desire for earthly things, worldly things? You know, the suffering that I didn't experience was actually manifest, I think, in an in, in intense encounter with God and an ability to really rely on him because I was completely helpless all the while my wife and kids are at home in fear, you know, the scared, being scared, but also realizing that they have to trust in God. And so our faith in two very different ways, mine in the hospital, theirs outside is what got us through. And, you know, I applaud my children for, you know, they were scared, but they knew that God had a plan, and his plan was going to be what was best in the, in the, in the, uh, in the end. So, yeah, it was a very intense time spiritually, and uh, the suffering, we don't downplay the suffering at all, but it was, it, was, it was a unique experience, for sure. When did you begin to kind of turn the corner and get better through all of it? Sure. I think in the story, kind of Catherine kind of left off with when it got the worst, and this is actually on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. I had woken up early in the morning. I was woken up out of sleep with heart pain, and uh, I'm not going to go into the specifics about what I believe that heart pain is because my heart is completely fine medically, but that day there were so many things that occurred medically I was receiving great care, and I thank the nurses and the doctors so much. The nurses, especially with the COVID protocols, they were just really being really uh, put under so much stress and the physical and wearing all the PPE. And so thank you so much to the nurses 
that do this everywhere that take care of those of, of us that had to go through this. But uh, that day, <laughs> there were so many incredible things that happened on the Immaculate Conception. It was uh, the day that Pope Francis named it the year of St. Joseph, who's a patron of mine. Uh, he should be a patron to all of us. I mean, he is... Yes. He is our guide. He, you know, he held the the Savior. He, he he is such an amazing, amazing saint. And so that was an incredible thing that happened that day. Um, obviously, the Immaculate Conception. What a special, what a special celebration that we have in that day. That around that time, just with amazing contacts that we have, friends doing amazing things. We had uh, Pope Francis offered a mass for me that day that one still blows my mind um i was in the personal prayers of pope emeritus benedict so there's there were incredible things i also got plasma that day we find that interesting but i got plasma that day and this is when i started to turn the corner Hmm. all of the medicines that were man-made all of the procedures all of the technologies although they were doing their part and they were doing things they were doing positive things for me none of them did what what God's creation did in the plasma. When I got that plasma put into my system, it really began to, I turned the corner and things turned out. So between the prayer, the sacrifices that were being made, and another thank you to everyone there that, you know, to yourself that said you were praying, even though you really didn't know what was going on, but the masses that were offered, the priests around the world, the friends making sacrifices, fasting and praying. Uh, we are incredibly indebted, so grateful for everybody that did uh, something small, something big, because they all went together to, to lead towards that path of healing. And so that December 8th, we started to see some improvements, but I wasn't out of the woods yet. Uh, I was still on an incredible amount of oxygen I was using a machine called the Vapotherm, and I was receiving, it was maxed out. It was, you could imagine, in like a car engine, it was, it was redlining. So for 21 days, I was at 40 liters of oxygen a minute. And um, it's like having an air compressor blowing, you know, shooting straight up your nose constantly for, for weeks. But my lungs were just not able to breathe. So I was still on the oxygen. I was now, you know, I was down in Wichita and they were doing all sorts of monitoring and checking my heart and I was not having fevers anymore. I was not having any headaches whatsoever. I I was really doing much much better, but I was still in I still had to be in isolation. So, little by little, my oxygen needs began they began to get a little bit better and then I got on room air, uh, I'm sorry, uh smaller amounts of air. Uh, coming out of the vapotherm, and then I was able to sleep without the vapotherm and just have the oxygen out of the wall. So those little things, the nurses giving great care, all the prayer, all the sacrifice, we began to just really uh, see a turnaround. And um, eventually I was able to be, I was discharged on December 22nd. And that was for us, you know, especially for me as a dad, like I knew that things could have gone much worse. I could have, I could have passed away. Um, I really was very close. Um, when you ask the doctors and the nurses, or if you were to look back at my chart and, you know, to see those, 
those numbers that I had, it's, it is a miracle that I am alive, and I am very grateful for that. I certainly didn't want to leave my wife and my children. You know, over time, the little improvements, they became big victories, and little improvements became multiple big victories. And then, you know, for myself as a father, I wanted to be home before Christmas for my children. And thankfully that was able to happen and we were able to surprise the kids and, and to come back before Christmas. And it was a joyous, it was a joyous thing. Yeah. So that, um, something about the Immaculate Conception that day and St. Joseph's. Yeah, something little like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And one thing that I just want to add to that, uh, because I do know that it kind of got around, there was a video that Dave made uh, while he was in the ICU on Friday after the Immaculate Conception. And I just want to explain for those, for anyone who's seen it, or you could go to True Manhood on Facebook, it's there, um, if you want to watch it. But it's a video. So, like I said at the beginning, Dave didn't really talk. I mean, for a long time, and I actually started wondering if the lack of oxygen was causing him some cognitive delay, like, there just wasn't a lot there and not a lot that he was able to do, and so um, all this time up, see, this is like 20 days, he hasn't really talked, there's not been much there, and then all of a sudden, on a Friday morning, my phone starts blowing up. I saw Dave. He looks so good. I can't believe I saw this video. Dave is so awesome. Like, look how good he looks, and I'm like... What? Dave talked? Dave talked? What are you saying? There's a video? And I went on it, and I started crying because I thought, this is what Lazarus says when he comes out of the tomb. And this was, to me, it was like he finally had enough oxygen and felt well enough that he could say what had happened and what God was working on his heart this whole time when he was, you know, literally on death's door. And I just think it's beautiful. So if anyone saw the video or if they look at it, I think when you see it with that, like, context, it's just an even more beautiful story of what God's trying to let us all know, like how loved we are. Stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening on the radio dial, computer, phone app, or Amazon Echo, we'll be right back with more about struggling with COVID with Dave and Catherine Denuzzo. We're back on One Body Stewarding God's Creation. Struggling with COVID. With Dave and Catherine Denuzzo. George Toman conducts the interview. So I want to quickly interject here, Dave, all the dots connecting. Had a Mass said by our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and the prayer intentions of our Pope Emeritus, Benedict XVI. You get the plasma literally on the is Immaculate Conception, is that right? As, as yeah. you said, Yeah, Immaculate Conception. That's a big, big day in the Church. And then coming home on December 22nd there. But Dave, do you have any lasting effects due to COVID that, that you're still working through? Well, sure. I'm, I'm not out of the woods. I am still not working. And um, although I have really improved the last uh, three or so weeks, I was dealing with ongoing 
extreme exhaustion. Like, you know, the, the, the doctors, unfortunately, because it's, it's new and they don't know why it affects certain people, why it doesn't affect others. They don't know long-term what it's going to look like. And so the doctor kind of calls it COVID exhaustion. But yeah, I've dealt with that. Uh, thankfully, you know, I, I can't go out and do a lot of physical activity. I'm getting better. My, my prescription basically is to rest as needed and to, to walk and be active as needed and as able. But there can be little tasks. Like I just noticed uh, the last time I rolled the, the dumpster from the back of the house out to the curb for the trash pickup that I had to stop halfway through the yard and catch my breath. Um, it's still really affecting me. And it's weird for me because I was very, very active before and I never, I just, I had a big capacity for work. So it's, it's been a lasting effect in the sense of I'm not the same. And, and I love that in the sense of the spiritual that I'm not the same. Uh, I think some of the lasting effects spiritually have been really good. I am far from perfect, but it really broke me of pride. Pride still rears its nasty head every once in a while, but I feel like I'm much more easygoing. I feel like I'm more patient with people, hopefully. You know, so some of those lasting effects, they're positive. They're, they're good things. And uh, it certainly shaped my prayer. And, yeah, back to the, to the diaconate, you know, it's continued discernment for what was God doing and what was he preparing me for. So a lot of that's unknown at this point, and we continue to work through it. Some of the lasting effects that have affected the family as well. There's, you know, it's one thing when, you're, when your dad is in the hospital, your husband's in the hospital, and it's another thing when he comes home and it's excitement and it's the holidays and everything's great, and then there's improvements and, you know, daddy's doing well, and then we get back to the reality of life and the emotions and things that personally I don't, I don't always think about, but uh, that's what I was kind of mentioning at the beginning. When people joke about COVID um, and someone else hears the joke who's been affected by it, you know, it's really hard. It's really hard for them. So I've just kind of encouraged people. It's not a joking matter. You know, I, I think my wife and my kids, little things uh, affect them differently that, that wouldn't have affected them before in a negative, in a negative sense. And I don't know if Catherine, if you want to add anything to that, but the lasting effects, I mean, they're, they're ongoing for sure. Yeah. And I think that kind of with the lasting effects, I think the hard thing is starting to realize that daddy might never go back to normal. Like this might be the new normal and having no idea. Like every doctor thing is, we don't know if you'll get better. We don't know if you're going to get worse. We don't know anything, and that's why the, the blessings of being able to grow in our faith during this whole process, God continues to give us the ability to know that he's going to take care of us, that there's going to be good in this, and, but I think the hardest part is that lasting effect, and I kind of want to say something, too, as Dave talks about the, again, not to politicize COVID in any way, one of the first things that, you know, we probably, people who knew us pre this time we're not probably the biggest fan of COVID and some of the things that were happening and um, and would always say like how do you feel about it now and one of the things that 
I think is just for us is being more sensitive to that. I even had a priest who was giving me spiritual direction when Dave was sick and was actually would sit and pray with him. Dave couldn't talk, but he would just put on a video and the priest called me and said, I'm so sorry for every joke I ever made. Like I'm asking you to forgive me because I didn't know it could look like this. And so it's not a political thing, but it's about understanding that like, that was a time where I really like took back even everything I said. And I'm like, I'm sorry for those. And I just took it lightly. So I think there's a lasting effect of our emotions on how we see coming through this and trying to be empathetic of those who have gone through this journey. The blessings are countless. So many things that we are really unable to even know and see now that we'll find out later. But we feel lucky that others have heard our story, that through the prayer they were offering and the sacrifices they were making for us, in our time of suffering that, that they've experienced an, an increase in their faith or it was, it was beneficial for them. And so that's incredible. I think the amount of, well, it's not one of the blessings that is very visible to me because of so many networks, whether it's, um, you know, our local parish and our local friends and, and, and community members here in Beloit, but the diocese, you know, I keep running into people all over the diocese that say, oh, we were praying for you. Or whether it was, you know, I'm, I'm a former focus missionary, so whether it was the, the focus community or the Benedictine community, or, you know, we have connections in the East Coast, and we have connections in Colorado, and we have connections in Europe, people everywhere. I really saw the universal church come together to offer prayer and sacrifice and it was for me, and that's really humbling. Um, yeah, it's so humbling to know that, I mean, likely tens of thousands of people, and many of them never knowing who I was. Mm-hmm. Just that someone said, hey, there's a guy, he's a dad, could you pray for him and his family? And we cannot say thank you enough. But to see the universal church doing what the body of Christ does, it's it's, you know, trying to get us, all of us, to sainthood. Um, and I, and that, that, I want to point to another thing, the blessings. I am a firm believer in grace. I teach grace in my theology classes. I talk about the sacraments and becoming a saint, living virtue. But the reality is, is that, I could have died, and I knew, and I, I had no fear, because I was in the state of grace, and, you know, through the process, I was able to be anointed, and was able to receive the Eucharist. Uh, early on, because I was completely isolated, the, the priest wasn't able to get in there, but had I died in a different, had I gone into the hospital in a different state, you know, out of the state of grace... I would have been in fear, absolutely. We, we have to live in a state of grace because we never know. And sometimes, you know, one of the blessings is it, this wasn't my time, and I have more to do here on the earth and more, more of a grace-filled life to live. But I just think that the beauty of the gospel message, the beauty of the church that Christ established as a method for us to live, it is hope-filled, it is joyful, we don't have to live in fear of death. We don't 
We don't have to live in fear of suffering. These are things that draw us closer to God. These are ways that God established himself to build that covenant and that bond with us. And for me, one of the greatest blessings personally and spiritually was a total reliance on God. And I had this before I went into the hospital, but for that to be strengthened and to be made profound was incredible for me. And I could, I could continue on the blessings that there, there, so many stories that come out of it. And so many times that people said, Oh, I was doing this for you. And I was doing that for you. And yeah, it's just incredible. I mean, we were just so, so lucky and so fortunate to have gone through this, even with the difficulty, even with the, the, the trials. Um, and I know Catherine has some specifics she wants to share too about some blessings. And so when I first got married to Dave, from that day on, I would say a prayer almost every night and say, God, don't take my husband because I'm not strong enough to do it without him. I was like, if you think I am, I'm not. And, you know, as I grew in my faith and went to, you know, marriage strengthening conferences and various, they would always be like, it needs to be God first and then your spouse. And I just always struggled with that idea. Like, how could I love someone more than I love my husband? I am dorky in love with him. And I just, I always wanted to have the faith that Dave had, but I just, it was very hard for me. So I would always pray, like, I'm not strong enough. And when this situation happened, I was forced to sit in the silence of like, okay, what happens if he doesn't come home? And God answered that prayer of God, please don't take my husband. I'm not strong enough to do it without him with the most beautiful, like, you're right. You absolutely are not strong enough to do it without him, but I'm going to show you what you can do with me. And I was so humbled and I just fell in love with Jesus because everywhere I turned, I would call him my Jesuses. Like every time I thought, oh my gosh, I can't do this. There was this little Jesus moment. If it was someone taking my my son has this scooter and it needed a basket on it. And it was this breakdown moment when I'm like, I don't know how to put a basket on a scooter. Like I'm in this shop with tools. I don't know how to do with tools. And one phone call and my friend picked up the scooter basket showed up with it on when we had like, I didn't know how we were going to pay for bills. I don't know if you've ever flown from Beloit to Wichita on a medical plane, but it is not a cheap flight. That's 45 minutes. And I was like, I don't know how we're going to afford this. And people would sign over their holiday bonuses. People did bake sales for us. People who didn't even know me would drop money in my mailbox. And I was like, oh, so I don't, I need you, Jesus. And what happened is when my husband came home, I was able to just love him as what I always call my frosting. Like my relationship with Jesus is so much stronger and he is absolutely my core. And it enabled me to enjoy my marriage more because I wasn't trying to have Dave be Jesus, which he's awesome, but he's no Jesus. And so to me, that's the greatest blessing that for that had come for me, where I go as far to say, like, I'm thankful for this journey because through this suffering, I have an intimate relationship with Jesus that if I hadn't had, I know that I wouldn't have that relationship or even be able to understand that depth of a closeness with him. My first question to you is, 
what did each of you come away with from going through this experience and how can you use this experience to help others? I think my first, like what has come from this, like I think just that include what I said on the last one is just a complete humbling to Jesus, but in like a beautiful trust fall way. Like I, I have a future in front of me that I don't quite know how to put all the blocks together and I'm not even really scared. Sometimes I wonder how it's going to work out, but I have no doubt that he will. And I appreciate the sound of my husband's voice and the feeling of his breathing and the sound of him laughing with the kids and all of those things that I took for granted and would complain about or, you know, why isn't it this way? Um, just being able to have a greater faith in Jesus and actually really have a relationship and to appreciate the gift of my marriage and what that is and the husband I have, I think is what comes from that. And really being able to understand that good can come from the suffering. It's scary and hard in the moment, but there can be good in that. What I hope people learn from our story is that there is good in suffering, even though it's hard and that God loves you and will not abandon you. And I know that's hard, even knowing that people have hard, like not everyone has the ending, you know, that sometimes people do pass. And, but like, please know every ounce of my being, all my heart goes out and says, Jesus is there. You just got to keep looking. He's there. We're asking for you. Like, I hope that they can go to Jesus in that relationship. And I think some of the things that I take away from the experience are, you know, on a personal, on a personal note, they are, they've bolstered my faith life. I feel like it was strong before, but now uh, it's just at another level. I never took for granted the church before. I never doubted God. I never doubted that he was there and loved me. Uh, I didn't doubt the sacraments I had previously in my life, but this was this was a strengthening of that though in a in a very concrete way and i'd like that i'd like to think that others can use that as well and it can benefit others in the sense of maybe you don't have to go through this yourself to learn from us that this is what we need we need total reliance total trust in god and that was the prayer that continuously throughout the process that I relied on is a prayer to the sacred heart of placing trust in the sacred heart. And so I had had a divine mercy uh, devotion. And I think I had that devotion because I need, I need mercy. I need God's extreme compassion in my time of need. And when I was in the hospital and my breathing was really bad and I, I was, you know, the alarm was dinging on the machine behind me saying my numbers were too low I would pray, almost sacred heart of Jesus, I place all my trust in thee. And I would pray it three times, and I would pray a Hail Mary, and 100% of the time, it never failed. 100% of the time, my numbers would come up and the alarm would go off and I would be fine. And when we can trust in God at that level, knowing that I am not in control, but I have to relinquish self-reliance and I have to relinquish pride and I have to relinquish me, you know, old Dave or pre COVID Dave needed to go away and new Dave 
needs to continue to be made new. And I can't do it on my own. And I think that's one of the things that stands out to me in this experience is I had to have God be at every part and break me of me so that he can make me new. And there's so many scriptures that, you know, if you're going to gain your life, you have to lose it first and we have to follow him, you know, pick up our cross and follow him daily. And I think that's what came out of that experience for me is I knew those things. And in some ways I had done those things, but it's just another push to do that more fully, more intently. And the joy, the joy that comes out, I hope I'm much more joyful now. I hope I'm easier on my kids. Like, you know, I'm more patient and less rash and all those good things. So hopefully those that have, are listening, they don't have to go through the experience to learn that that's what we need. Thank you for making yourselves available for this talk. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing sharing some of these things. We did delve into um, your life fairly deeply there in the last couple of months. And Dave, again, it's glad to have you still around, big guy, and, and thank you for your witness to Christ and his church. I have about 30 seconds left. Do you have any shout-outs you want to give to anyone in the radio audience or anything else you want to say before I let you go? Well, just thank you to everyone who was praying. We know so many of you were. And uh, I would love to share with you, I didn't, I didn't specifically say what the heart pain was, but if you come in person and you ask me at some point, maybe I'll tell you what, the, uh, what I believe the heart pain was that day on the Immaculate Conception. It's pretty cool. Catherine, anything? Uh, I just want to say thank you to all those that we don't even know, the, the silent Jesuses, the ones who were, I just know that we did not do this alone, and it was the prayer and the sacrifice. And so... And also, yeah, everything. There's so many people to think that I don't even know to thank you. So thank you to those who I don't even know I should be thanking. Does that make sense? (laughs) Absolutely. So, hey, Dave and Catherine, thank you so much. God bless you. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks for coming on, all right? God bless. Thank you so much. You bet. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks to Dave and Catherine for sharing this intense personal story. If you can help Divine Mercy Radio keep great shows like this on the air, please consider being an underwriting sponsor. Interested? Call today, 785-621-4110. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 101.7 KJDM Lindsberg Salina, 88.1 KRTT Great Band and 88.1 KVDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. One body, stewarding God's creation.